This fall in a galaxy not so far away, because it is the one in which we live. One rebel new media podcaster will take you behind the scenes to depths previously unplumbed of the punch felt around the world and felt by numerous generations of the Punchy's family and the crisis of team and responsibility that followed. Impartial critics describe it as a gripping, noble, selfless search for the unvarnished truth of what happens when people stop being polite and start getting extensions. What is up, fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Dan Valley coming at you with a regular season podcast. How freaking weird is that to say? Uh, quick notes before we get started with these takeaways, which I will explain in a second. Uh, I owe you all a Los Angeles Lakers, uh, Los Angeles Clippers look ahead for the rest of the season. I will do that deep dive eventually. The scheduling with the guest didn't work out. Uh, and I would like to still have that guest on, which is why I've decided to wait. And these look aheads are, you know, they're preps for the season, but they're also very relevant when you look at the the rest of the the year for these teams. And so I'll either bring on someone else if we can't work it out, but I will get you a singular 45 to hour long podcast on the Clippers. I apologize that we couldn't get to all 30. The plan was to have them all done before opening night, but again, it didn't work out. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast. Uh, if it's on YouTube, hit that sub button, like comment, help the algorithm love us back. It, it means a ton. Please do that. Even if you're listening to us on Spotify, Apple podcasts, Google play, um, and vice versa. If you're on YouTube, go to Apple, Spotify, subscribe to us. There, ratings help reviews helps, but, um, subscribing download every episode means a ton as well. And finally, if you've done all those things, if you're following us on YouTube and subscribed and you've subscribed to the podcast on a, a podcast player, Considering shout us out on Twitter, I will retweet it. Uh, if I see it, I normally do see it for what it's worth, even though my mentions can be kind of messy. Um, or just tell people about us, word of mouth, to continue building the community. I appreciate every single one of you who listen. Um, let's get into this exercise, which is super fun. And I hope you all enjoyed the first 37 seconds leading into this podcast. Don't think that I was just going to lead into it without mentioning it. Anyway, um, I'm going to do, I have not watched every single game. But I've gone box score hunting and then watched based off things that I've seen. Um, and I've watched chunks of games just to see what was uh, interesting. And so I have way too early takeaways for every team. I'm not going to try and focus on the obvious ones um, necessarily. If you know if there are flaws that were obvious, I'll highlight those. There are things that I'm just noticing. Um, and I have watched a lot of basketball, which is to say I've watched no basketball at all. Because as YouTube commenters like to say, I don't know basketball. I don't watch basketball. I hate your favorite team. I've never seen them. Don't intend to start watching them now either but just figure this would be a fun exercise to start the season it's going to be even more fun because we're going to do this in 60 seconds or less i'm not here to justify i actually have this written out and i'll let people on youtube follow along just as sort of these bullet points for me to blow through maybe i end up talking too quickly but between this little intro and then the actual takeaways um this podcast should be under 40 minutes and so that is the goal it's the 60 seconds or less takeaways but we have takeaways for every single NBA team uh, I am going to get started I was gonna say I really should track this but I'm just going to trust myself that I can do this so I'm going to throw it up on the screen and we'll go in alphabetical order and I'll try and remember to time stamp this podcast so you all can skip ahead uh, we begin with the Atlanta Hawks yeah Trey Young it seems does 
spend more time off the ball or is going to, he took 20% of his shots um, as spot ups in that first game. Um, That's compared to 5% last season. We're only talking about four attempts. He missed them all. Um, He will come along there, but it does seem like Atlanta is sort of dedicated to making that an element of his partnerships with DeJounte Murray, who does seem kind of shocked at some of the space that he has available to him in Atlanta. I will also say the Hawks play a little bit faster than I thought they were going to. And uh, John Collins might not mind life inside this offense that has two ball dominant guards. Uh, The defense feels like it has a different bit of energy too, based off the possessions that I watched. I would like to see them rebound way better. The Boston Celtics, Malcolm Brogdon probably needs to be the sixth man of the year favorite at this point. Yes, I know Jordan Poole exists. Uh, Brogdon's already giving the Boston Celtics a great outlet in the half court, a luxury next to Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, but a necessity when one or both sit. I apparently undersold his capacity to attack outside of a straight line as well and get excited for what the Celtics can do if and when he takes and makes more of his threes. Maybe also get excited for what they could do if Robert Williams III ever gets and stays healthy. This team is a bear and they are among the ones that I underestimated leading into the year. The Brooklyn Nets, where do we start? I did a deep dive on them. I'm not sure if I'm actually going to put it on YouTube or in a podcast form. I'll consider it um, after their loss to the Pelicans. Ben Simmons overall performance. We could take that away from it. It was, it was fairly excusable. He's on a new team. It's been 16 ish months since he played meaningful basketball. Plus the Nets have him going up against Zion Williamson and Jonas Valanciunas. That's no picnic. They remain very large human beings. Brooklyn's minutes with Ben Simmons and Nicholas Claxton, though, uh, those might be worth reading into a little bit. In the 15 minutes they locked together, the Nets had an offensive rating of 60 and shot 8 of 20 overall and just 1 of 6 from 3, and it looked every bit as clumpy as those numbers imply. Slotting Simmons next to Dayron Sharp isn't a solution. The same goes for sticking Ben Simmons at center when going up against behemoth front courts like that in New Orleans. Uh, I don't know what the answer is here. It may be a pickle that the Nets can't solve. Getting back Joe Harris and Steph Steph Curry, excuse Steph Curry would help too. Steph Curry will help just to open up space in the front court during the more clumpier minutes. But that's something to watch. This team might need a trade, even when looking at sort of its wing defense pecking order. You don't want Kevin Durant to have to be on Brandon Ingram a ton. The Charlotte Hornets, this one's big. Steve Clifford is going to let the Hornets run, it looks like. Maybe this is more like, first of all, if that's the case, Steve Clifford coaching this team that's going to play frenetically. Sign me all the way up, so long as that doesn't involve predicting the Hornets make the playoffs. I will not do that. Perhaps this place is too much emphasis on them beating the San Antonio Spurs, but the Hornets play at a frisky pace, and they don't even have a metal ball back right now who's dealing with a sprained ankle. I'm in love with it. Also, holy Nick Richards. They were right to name him as just their second primary big at this point. I respect the off-ball movement, the baby baseline jumper. It's very pretty. Uh, This is officially a Nick Richards fan club podcast the Chicago Bulls DeMar DeRozan is certainly going to cool off this this season I say to myself whilst applying numerous thick layers of cloud makeup to my face edging out the Miami Heat doesn't seem like it's going to be sort of the banner moment that it that it used to be um but the Bulls did not have Zach Levine they didn't have Lonzo Ball and DeRozan dropped 37 and 9 while nailing two Two, we're talking multiple three-pointers and creating his usual amount of anarchy inside the arc with his change of pace handles and fadeaways and pull-ups and never-ending hang time that allows for last-second decisions you didn't see coming. Uh, also, Ayo Desunmu starting for them right now. He's on, like, the most highway robberyist contract in the league on the non-rookie scale division right now. This dude just does a little bit of everything, and the Bulls stole him in the draft, and then the contract that they were able to sign him to outside of the rookie scale again because he was selected in the second round. Just a freaking steal. The Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, 
I have like a bunch of short ones for them. Donovan Mitchell going downhill, good. Donovan Mitchell off the dribble shooting, looks good. Execution not so good. Those will start to fall. Darius Garland suffering a lac- laceration on his eyelid, bad. The Cleveland Cavaliers wing rotation, badder. Isaac Okoro's offense, badest. Cleveland's future ability to rip souls out, perfectly intact. I'm not worried about this team. They'll be fine. Dallas Mavericks, a team that I'm not sure will be fine. They do have Luka, which helps. Maybe Jason Kidd shouldn't go away from Christian Wood when he's cooking. That's just a thought. Uh, It's also uh, watching, going back and watching, and I watched that game live, and then I watched parts of it again when I was doing something on Devin Booker. It's either too early or too late to worry about Tim Hardaway Jr. I haven't decided yet. I might owe an apology to Spencer Dinwiddie's outside shooting. If my career livelihood depended on guarding Luka Doncic, I would simply retire. Uh, Damian Lee and fourth quarter Devin Booker, though, is is Dallas Mavericks kryptonite. Uh, this is a team that I, I think they might end up being better than I expect. I'm going to have to hand out a lot of apologies this season uh, just because the attention Luka draws is just huge. Uh, but Jason Kidd going away from Christian Wood. Um, they also, I, I still think they need someone else on the perimeter aside from Din, Dinwiddie to take pressure off of of Luka Doncic for, for extended stretches. The Denver Nuggets is my title pick already going up in flames. Obviously not because I'm always correct. It might actually be going up in flames though. They lose to the jazz allowing 80, allowing 70 plus percent shooting at the rim apparently is not a good thing. So just for anyone out there who may be coaching basketball, trying to get into it, it, it's not great. Who knew though? Denver needs to take all also take and hope it makes more threes. Giving a damn on the glass would be cool too. Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr. did not look spectacular, but just give them some time to round themselves into form. Nikola Jokic is already in MVP form. This is another team that will be fine, I think, because I don't want to be wrong about my title pick, or at least don't want to be egregiously wrong. The Detroit Pistons. Um, man, break up the Pistons. They're clearly just a budding dynasty this season. But seriously, Cade Cunningham with space to operate is terrifying. Not only that, but Cade Cunningham without space to operate is also terrifying to watch. I believe in the floater. The three can look iffy and slow and low, but I believe in that too. Uh, the average person is going to wind up tweeting with this team. Jay Ivey just did what? Three to 17 times every time they watch the Pistons on average. Uh, Jalen Dern has a certain dominate within the flow of the offense field to him. And I'm also convinced that Kevin Knox might have some dirt or compromising photos on head coach Dwayne Casey. Nevertheless, I overall believe that Detroit is building something special, and that trade for Boyan Bogdanovich is just going to do them a world of good. The Golden State Warriors. Um, I think for this one, we we need to go to an outside source, which is the Golden State Warriors title window. Golden State Warriors title window. Are you ever going to close? No. No, I don't think I will. Uh, look, Golden State. I just, you beat LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and the South Bay Lakers. Okay, fine, whatever. James Reisman looks like a real live functional NBA player. Dante DiVincenzo already looks like a perfect fit. Andrew Wiggins is apparently now irreversibly entrenched as the best 3 and D non-star in the league. Um, imagine what the Warriors will look like once Steph Curry and Jordan Poole and Klay Thompson all resume hitting threes. The Houston Rockets. Bruno Fernando starting over Alperen Shangun in this universe is weird. Steven Silas, what'd you do? I get it from the fit concerns perspective, but like you have Jabari Smith there anyway, and he's supposed to, I know he's a rookie, but like functionally on defense, he should compliment Shangun really well. It actually could have turned out worse when you look at the Bruno Fernando minutes from game one. Still just all kinds of weird 
uh, I don't like it. Houston definitely needs more of a floor general too for this team. I mean, Kevin Porter Jr. had a good game, but he and Jalen Green are just sort of overmatched as being the the quarterbacks tasked with allocating touches and shots for for everybody else. And even if it's a veteran or something, I don't think they're going to ruin the tank. This team has a lot of talent, but isn't that good. It'd be nice to see them go get out and um, find just that floor general type. It'd also be nice to see them get in transition every once in a fucking while. Uh, I'm asking for the name of Steven Silas's job security there. The Indiana Pacers. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton is that dude. He's the Indiana Pacers lifeline. He has a license plate number. It's K-N-G-Z-S-U-K if you're watching on screen. Kings suck, I guess. I'm I'm still thinking about his dunks, plural, against the Wizards, and about his escape dribble-triple, and that three-point dime he threw to Jalen Smith, and also about the ease and cons- constants with which he moves off the ball. That was a great pickup by Indy. There are other things to take away from this game. I'm really intrigued by Isaiah Jackson this season. I do blame Caitlin Cooper for that a lot. Uh, but this team should still be a fun watch. And kudos to, to Rick Carlisle for kind of letting them play the way that they did for most of that game against the Wizards. But that should be just, I don't I guess the benchmark, you want to see them play hard and it be entertaining and then still lose because you want, if you're a Pacers fan, you should want Wembenyama in Indiana. The Miles Turner injury, by the way, sucks. Um, rolling his ankle out for a week. I think he stepped on a ball boy or fell on a ball boy. He said whatever landed on a ball boy, whatever it was ball person. And um, that really blows. You hate to see a Lakers lose another big like that. When Anthony Davis is already dealing with a back injury, the Clippers Kawhi Leonard is going to win six man of the year. John wall is a little slower, but he's still really fucking fast. And the biggest one for me though, and we like Kawhi coming off the bench is just funny. Russ is complaining about getting injured. If he sits on the bench, Kawhi Leonard's just coming off the bench because he suggested it. That was something he called for the Clippers half court offense really needs a jolt of creativity though. Um, they average 0.739 points per half court play against the Lakers, the Lakers of all teams and 50% of Anthony Davis, Paul George will be better, but they probably need more inspiring minutes out of, Norman Powell here. Like I said, I was kind of impressed with John Wall. They do really have the depth, but the question of who is their third best player, or do they have a third best player who can capably be their second best player on any given night if Kawhi is restricted or not playing, if Paul George is having an off night, um, that looms for this team. Uh, also, Avita Zubac, just a, just a friggin' bear and can rough people up. And I this gets brought up all the time, but the Lakers trading him for Mike Muscala is just so freaking egregious even a few years later oh hey the lakers i hope people are watching on screen because i i do have the darvin ham meme up here holding the clipboard saying pick me up mom i'm scared uh trade russell westbrook already damn it look he is not going over 11 sucks um and they all did almost beat the clippers it's not just russ it's his, his contract is merely the vehicle through which they can make a big trade since he earns so much money and they don't have these other expendable salary anchors to just include i get they don't want to give up the picks for non-stars do it already lebron's in his age 38 season he's currently 37 now like you're not you're not obligated to later you're obligated to win now and this team cannot fucking shoot fuck the picks they're 19 of 85 from three that is 22.4 percent on the season i just to do that when lebron is still so good and also when you're watching davis like his fragility in real time with the back injury come on like come on he came back in the game, by the way, and I don't even think he should have come back in. I'm not a doctor, but it didn't look like he should have came back in the way he was moving. If you're trying to actually open this LeBron window, if you're just trying to, if there isn't a tacit agreement that they're just going to send 
him off into the sunset, you know, contending for the 10 seed in the West. I guess that's fine. I understand the impetus to not want to give up distant picks that could be gems when you're transitioning out of the LeBron era, but all you're doing now is wasting what's left of the LeBron era. And like, it's going to take you forever to get to those picks. And the other thing I'll point out finally, waiting 20 games as Woj reported, they want to do. I don't think that's smart. Maybe the trade candidate pool gets deeper, but you don't have the assets to actually outbid teams. There will be teams that come in for players and they're offering first round picks that convey before the end of time where you're not going to convey one before 2027. So trade Russell Westbrook already. And it's not, I don't fans telling Russ, he sucks. And like the memes of Russ missing as we do with all players. I think those are fair game. They're jokes. And I'm not a fan of a player's game is under full, like it's fair game, but player's game is fair game. How about that? But like when you're attacking their character or actually being hostile towards them, like you're, you're fucking loser. And to have fans scream at you suck, it's just, let's bring back players running into the stands is really all I'm saying there. So how's that? Trade Russell Westbrook, I'm still going to defend him. The Memphis Grizzlies, um, it is apparently already that time of year when I must sheepishly apologize for underestimating the Memphis Grizzlies, who are still very much awesome despite opting out of the proven talent acquisition game over the summer. I'm sorry, Memphis. Uh, John Morant in, is entrancing. Desmond Bain really plays offense. Um, like he's, what if Kyle Lowry was taller? Uh, Santi Aldama is, it seems really fucking good and just sort of everywhere all at once at the exact right time. Steven Adams screens are still, still pancakey. This team might actually shoot enough threes. Now Tyus Jones might let it fly more. And Jared Jackson Jr. isn't even playing yet. And this team is just still so frenetic and good. I don't, again, I don't know if they'll match the 56 win total, but they already make me look like a moron. The Miami heat. I don't know that I have any nice things to say about them. I refuse to entertain Kyle Lowry being done. I just, I won't do it. It's not happening yet. I, we're moving on. Max Struess still remains allergic to missing. That's good. It would be nice if Bam Adebayo didn't settle on offense like he was 2021 Anthony Davis at this point. Tyler Hero should attack the rim like Nikola Vucevic is defending it even more often than he did during the first game of the season. Jimmy Butler going downhill and running the open floor are still terrifying sights. The Miami Heat half-court offense overall, though, is still a slog. Um, they'll probably iron out just enough of their wrinkles anyway, and then win like 48 to 53 games because that's what they tend to do. I do have just concerns about this roster and they might need to make the trade where it's, Oh, we're including picks uh, on top of Duncan Robinson's salary, but this Kyle Lowry salary sort of work its way into here. Uh, they do feel like a team that needs to make a move and not just for like a Jay Crowder type right now. The Milwaukee Bucks, Giannis is fucking great. End of story. That's too many F-bombs even for me so far. We're only halfway through. He dropped against the Sixers on Thursday, 21, 13, 8, and then th with three blocks. And it just felt so casual. Like it almost wasn't even happening. Dude is heroic. Uh, Milwaukee really needs Chris Middleton back, though, especially in the half court. And especially if Drew Holiday is going to continue to shoot like he's still in the playoffs. Uh, oh, I really would like to just note that Jordan Wara's confidence remains aspirational. Javon Carter also remains suffocating. And I think it's actually okay that he has a real role on this team. By the way, Brooke Lopez is bold text back on defense. It seems like, which I think is really important to note. And it's huge for Milwaukee, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, I surprisingly don't have a great feel for them after watching a, a pretty big portion of their game against the thunder, but Rudy Gay and the Timberwolves should still be fun, especially if they keep milking his usage as a screener and, and resist the temptation to devolve into this one-on-one -on -one team. Like we saw Anthony Edwards and D'Lo do a little bit too much at points. Jalen Noel is ready. Wolves fans were yelling at me in the mentions on YouTube. They were right. I'm, I can admit, I'd like to think I can admit when I'm wrong when it comes to this, probably in my actual life, my like people will tell you differently. I'm just stubborn. 
Jaden McDaniels is God. We knew that. And, uh, and you still want him to hit and take more threes, but he's God. Anthony Edwards is probably still fouling Shea Gilgis Alexander as, as I record this right now. And that is the day after that this, this game took place. And Carl Anthony Towns can't let bigger wings like the, the way that the Thunder were defending him or combo forwards just out physical him on the perimeter. That, that just can't happen. I think the Timberwolves will see kind of a work in progress, more so on offense than defense, which is really wild to think. And there might still be some, you know, definitely kinks to work out there, but I'm more intrigued by how the offense ends up panning out, at least when we're going individual by individual, given they're just the pecking order right now. The New Orleans Pelicans. My only takeaway is the dynasty has started. Zion Williamson isn't even all the way back, and he's somehow still just this human tornado. Brandon Ingram can toggle between, like, six different offensive existences in the same quarter. Kudos to him. I mean, he had some pretty tough shots against the Nets, but, like, he also, he got KD backdoor at one point. Um, He's able to, he looks like he's perfected just being able to... um stand where he knows that uh, defenses are going to help from, and then he can hit those standstill threes. Uh, My God, this team has maybe two top 25 players on the team right now. I don't think it's a stretch to say Brandon will be in the top 25 discussion. Uh, Trey Murphy, the third is, or Trey Murphy, excuse me, New Orleans people have gotten mad at me for saying Trey Murphy, the third, I think, but whatever, Trey Murphy hitting ultra deep threes, scoring off movement. He's allowed to dribble and he's going to be more than a role player. Jonas Valanciunas, Remains very, 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 very gargantuan, just in case anyone was wondering. And the mood surrounding this team is great. And as it turns out, Zion, B.I., and C.J. McCollum can, in fact, absolutely play together. How unexpected? On a related note, it was not unexpected, if you listen to this podcast. The New York Knicks. Whew. Sure. Having a capable point guard in Jalen Brunson who attacks, even in crunch time, and then effectively decision makes off those attacks is great. And yes, Cam Reddish very much doesn't suck and should also pass, please, for, for the love of God. And okay, I might be 37% worried about the Knicks' reliance on R.J. Barrett defensively and how tough assignments vis-a-vis John Morant might impact his chi on the other end, just like his his mood, his aura there. He just made some really bad decisions on offense against the Grizzlies. That being said, Julius Randle playing and screening and rolling and spotting up and scoring and passing within the flow, within the larger context of the offense, rather than from over dribbles island, will be a meaningful game changer for this team if it holds. I kind of buy into it. Everything's hunky-dory in game one, but if Julius Randle can fit into this larger offensive picture where they're getting away from his just very you know heliocentric type of touches, and he can still have them. Like Lineups are still built for him to use them, but he played well, I thought, off others and, and with others. That becomes big for this Knicks team, and it's why you can be in a game that you were against the Grizzlies for as long as you were when R.J. Barrett is having an off night. The Oklahoma City Thunder, starting Alexei Pokashevsky at center, is at once unhinged and genius, and I still believe in him. Props to the Oklahoma City Thunder for exploring what they have and who he is. Uh, this also just might be sort of his final shot where it's, hey, we're giving you a license, like prove it. Don't be this up and down tantalizing player every, you know, 37th possession just to turn in 36 shitty ones before that. Um, and I thought he had some really nice moments. That being said, the Thunder, please consider asking him to rein it in on critical fourth quarter possessions in which Shea Gilgis-Alexander both exists and is on the floor. Speaking of Shea Gilgis-Alexander, holy hell, the cadence he plays at uh, remains indescribably variable. 
His poise and directionality and strength on drives is A plus 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 plus. And the from from scratch jumper looks pretty. Jalen Williams is adrenaline incarnate. I just I don't know how else to describe him. Lou Dort on offense still shimmies between chaotically brilliant and painful. Josh Giddy doesn't seem afraid to shoot anymore. Let's see if they ever start falling. Chip England now is in Oklahoma City, so maybe it does. The Orlando Magic. Shout out to Kobe Price for tagging me on Twitter, and I was able to go back and watch it. Orlando Magic head coach Jamal Mosley is prepared to deploy some truly weird-ass lineups. I love him for it. Franz Wagner functioned as a de facto point guard for almost seven minutes in the Magic loss to the Pistons. Uh, Do I care that Orlando missed all of its three-pointers during that time? Absolutely not. Am I a little upset Caleb Houston was on the court during those stretches rather than Paolo Bancaro? You better fucking believe that I am. Uh, Oh, yeah. Bancaro, really freaking good and annihilatory inside the arc. Condolences to Corey Joseph, who was probably still still just probably shaking from being posterized. I also can't wait for Paolo Bancaro to attempt his first first career regular season three. It might even happen by the time you listen to this, if you're listening to it after Friday. Congratulations to all of us, by the way, who did not sell their Jalen Suggs stock. Philadelphia 76ers, it turns out, I know, everyone brace yourselves, it turns out James Harden has not entered the Udonis Haslam phase of his career. How about that? Um, The Sixers are perhaps indulging too much, though, in Harden so far, but he's delivering with a varied offensive armory. He looks prior inside the arc, isn't afraid to get up those in-between jumpers and floaters. Um, The passing remains, uh, you know, astounding at points, and he's able to open up things for everybody else. With all of that in mind, Tyrese Maxey is being criminally underused, and that needs to change somehow. Maybe going through less of Harden, giving him more solo time. It just needs to change. I also think Joel Embiid through two games looks discombobulated on offense, but starting the season against the front courts in Boston and Milwaukee can do that to you. Starting 0-2 is less than ideal for this team. I'm not panicked. I think they're going to be really good. They had two tough matchups, and they'll they'll figure it out. But I, I one of the bigger things, Joel Embiid, you can bet on him just being better offensively, and I thought he was a little bit better defensively in the Milwaukee game than he was in the Boston game. That being said, the Tyrese Maxey stuff, uh, you need to figure out how to, a way to just keep him more involved. And I think that probably step, you know, you have to go to the the solo time with him would be my best guess guess there. Um, but even so, it's just like. James Harden could stand to probably find him open in the corner a little bit more than he has so far. The Phoenix Suns. Devin Booker, still underappreciated. I kind of wanted to stop my take there, but I, I think this anyone who listens to this podcast know that I have just a Devin Booker basketball fetish. Uh, his pocket passes are magic, and he's so composed and working off the dribble and decision-making from there. He absolutely just destroyed and picked apart the Mavericks in the you know, latter two-thirds of the fourth quarter when he, when he came in and helped the Suns with that comeback. Chris Paul may finally be aging or is just really banged up. I still refuse. They cut him pouting on the bench or whatever. I still just refuse to like get too worried about him. Um, if he is sort of cooked, then yeah, you, you have to worry about him. Damian Lee was in fact a good signing. How about that? Me and uh, Mike Vigil and myself from the timeline podcast were talking on the Suns look ahead that he was maybe their most intriguing pickup over the off season. Um, I know Josh Akogi was in there for some and Jock Landale. He's had some fun minutes, uh, but I, I think it's Damian Lee. And he showed why, of course. He ended up hitting, like, basically what was the, the game sealer. Uh, this team still really needs another dependable rotation player or two. If only they had someone like Jay Crowder and then maybe, like, someone else. But, yeah, they having Jay Crowder at home, I don't know how much he changes for this team. And you're going to have different concerns on offense, although Cam and um, Mikhail, like, they and, and Aiton gave you just, like, a lot of variance there on offense, even if, uh, you know, Mikhail specifically wasn't perfect. Cam Johnson was fine. 
I think that they just need to be a little bit deeper and they're going to need to make a trade, but their top five is still just money to me. Or maybe if you're that out on CP three, you can go top four, the Portland trailblazers. Um, don't bother worrying about Damian Lillard. I can't get there. I just, I, I don't know. More of his shots will fall, and Davion Mitchell is a human eclipse. So you're going up against the Kings. You have to worry about that. I do worry a little bit how much defenses can key in on him because they really don't care about Portland's other shooters at this point who are not named Anthony Simons. But the Blazers' dedication, which is just something else you can observe when you go back and look at the Kings, and maybe this is because they were facing the Kings, but they, they really focused on slashing towards the rim in the half court and also just getting out in transition and attacking the basket there. That will eventually, in the half court specifically, help alleviate some of the pressure on Dame, but you are going to need, if you want to open things up for him, three-point shooting um, at a higher clip from your supporting cast. The other thing is, by the end of the season, Josh Hart might lead the league in zero dribble assists, where he just kept, keep calling the connective pass, or if that's how you want to phrase it, just you know, putting getting an assist without having to put the ball on the floor. He he is a bear, too, when it comes to, to rebounding. And the Kings, the team that they played, um, they... Have well, let's start with De'Aaron Fox, who's just absolutely he's a star, baby. My De'Aaron Fox stock is held too. He's someone I voted him most improved player in year two, which is something I refuse to do is really throw year two players in there. He somehow year two De'Aaron Fox maybe break that, uh, you know, break that rule way back when. Uh, But he just looked amazing, kind of like he did to close the year last season, and it was able to. I don't think overshadow because I don't think Demantis Sabonis had a bad game, but he just felt when you go back and watch that game, you didn't feel him as much on offense necessarily. Uh, Kevin Herter also is not shy and has the absolute green light in Sacramento. Not that he didn't in Atlanta, but he was sort of buried a little bit more. Like they didn't have as many, I guess, ball dominant guys when you, you know, Darren Fox and Sabonis here, but like the ball just seems to find him more in Sacramento. And maybe it's just because you know, he's logging some more wing minutes here as well. Uh, maybe this was just a one-game thing, but he is certainly not shy. And I'm I'm actually impressed with the energy Mike Brown has the team playing with on defense. I will say it'd be nice if they put some bodies around the basket just to grab a board or two or, or three, and they're going to need to stop fouling so damn much. The San Antonio Spurs. Uh, the tank is on, and they might be a team that, just based off the way that they're playing, they might contend for that coveted oh dead last in offensive and defensive efficiency. They're in the bottom three of both right now, including um, I don't know what it is. It's dead last in probably if I had to guess it's offense. Let me check. Yeah, it's it's in offense points per possession and they're 28th in, in uh, points allowed per possession. That being said, Kelvin Johnson's shoulder seems okay. I was skeptical. He was going to be ready to start the season as someone who dislocated a shoulder. Uh, there's still not a ton of directionality on his drives, but there's a, there's a different cadence to them. And I think that will help him as he's on the ball even more. And we, we sort of saw it um, in that first game. When you go back and watch his possessions, Um, the three point shot looks crisp and, and like he no longer needs to be completely stationary. Anyone who's currently worried about Devin Vassell and Josh Primo is free to see themselves out. Jeremy Sohan. I'm sold. It wasn't even like that most impactful of a first game. The jumper is very much TBD and did not. I think the first one he took or set, whatever it was, he bricked that thing on the, on the other side of the rim too. It was one of those bricks where like it sailed over you. It was way too strong, but like you bricked the other side of the basket, which is really hard to do. Uh, I'm impressed though. That just shows versatility. Uh, He did miss some looks at the basket. He needs to go up harder, but he moves and shakes. He's a hustler without the ball and he can slip through defenses in the half court. It already feels like he's going to be that he is a good off ball defender and he can really clear out space uh, after a handoff. He did it for Jakob Pertle. I think it was two or three times in this game. So um, keep your eye on Jeremy Sohan and we need a Jeremy Sohan hair color tracker. I haven't made one. I've said it in discord a million times. Join our discord. How's that for a plug? 
but we need a Jeremy Sohan uh, hair color tracker. The Toronto Raptors. Uh, the starters, as we learned against Cleveland, will continue to play roughly infinity minutes uh, each game. Uh, the, on a more, you know, like intimate level, I guess here, I, I think I'm sold on OG Ananobi's passing. They're still going to be the ones where it's like, oh, he threw that and there was actually no Raptor on that side of the floor. But, man, he just threw a couple passes in this game. I think he ended up with four or five assists against Cleveland. Um, I think he might be worth, when you look at how more, how much more, let's say how much less predictable he is when he's putting the ball on the floor and attacking the basket, uh, he might need to be in the most improved player conversation that we thought Precious Achua was going to enter when he, Precious Achua is more of like the guy that's just going to enter that conversation every third game or something. I did pick Precious Achua to win most improved player. Uh, so I'm just saying, it does feel like the moments in which Scotty Barnes flashes more on-ball decisiveness and acceleration are on the climb, which will be big time for the Raptors. I mean, that's what this season, not it's all about, but that's like just the biggest thing for this season is, yeah, you want to compete, but you also want to know that you have that sort of additional point of attack weapon um, that can operate at a, a higher processing speed. Otherwise, you're going to have to go out and trade for him. It's not Scotty Barnes, but just the flashes we've seen of it, man, when he really puts his mind to it, and he absolutely uh, cooked, I think it was Dean Wade on one of the possessions. It was like, if he can do that, it doesn't have to be every touch, but more consistently, holy hell. The Utah Jazz, who are undefeated as of this recording, um, Danny Ainge is going to be pissed. And actually, I I was able to grab some footage slash audio of him talking to the Jazz in the locker room after they just absolutely spanked the, the Denver Nuggets. We, we don't do that here. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with Danny Ainge. Rudy Gay thinks it's 2012, apparently. Jared Vanderbilt is caffeine in corporeal form. Colin Sexton, by the way, this is like, he looks good in terms of his north-south juice. He hit this step back on Nikola Jokic. They really, the Jazz and Sexton specifically, they they went after him. Um, when he hit that step back down the stretch, it hints at another layer of shot making that he's never been too consistent at. Um, and I'm talking about basically the unassisted jumper. Uh, it's not something I want to see him go to too much, I guess, if, if you're in higher leverage moments. But if the Jazz are really just into experimenting, this is someone who, when he is trade eligible, if he's going to play like this, I don't know if the Jazz view him as part of their core. Um, he could be, he will be in the six man of the year discussion if he keeps playing like this and coming off the bench. And two, they're getting another first round pick for him. He's like on that, on that deal too, four years, 72 million. Holy crap. Uh, Larry marketing with more live dribble agency. Yep. Sign me up. He just threw some wicked passes here. And there was two of them where he like put real emphasis on it. Like he wanted the, um, anyone who's not watching, like you can't say, I'm just flamboyantly, you know, flipping my, my hand and my, my neck, my face, but uh, so he's, I think he's going to be fun to watch this year. Um, Walker Kessler, by the way. So I might've been wrong about him. I had this conversation in discord where I wasn't sure if he'd be able to handle like the NBA speed of events, uh, in the half court. Uh, he looks like he's okay there already. I am semi intrigued by him, Kelly Olynyk, and Larry Markin sharing the court at the same time. Uh, I'm just offensively like that makes a ton of sense, but the jazz like have the ability to go five out if they want with a Linux and marketing and then trying to fill out with either smaller guards. This team could really just be a monster um, to, to defend on offense. I'm not saying that they're going to be super good every single night. Denver's defense was pretty freaking porous, um, but they were averaging, they averaged almost a point per possession in the half court against Denver. And then, um, I was a little bit disappointed though, that they weren't getting out in transition more. I guess when you look at their personnel, it makes sense a little bit. 
Um, but only, I think it was 9% of their plays came in transition for that game. That's just too low. And I, yeah, I just looked it up. It's actually dead last in, in the league um, through this early part of the season. So I'd like to see more of that from them. They're, maybe they're not built for it, though. Um, they're going to try, though. Tony Jones came from the Athletic Counts podcast and said it. And it, look, tanking never really happens on the court. It happens in the front office when they make decisions to trade people or to play certain people but the actual players are not are never tanking uh unless you're james harden trying to get to a new team of course the washington wizards denny obvious anchor ankle better be okay that's all i will say i also will say i didn't expect their most used lineup to be the all bench mob and i was not a fan of it on offense for the most part there was a lot of defensive upside there i think it was it was amphi gill Rui, will barton daniel gafford and why i'm already forgetting the fourth player uh the fifth player excuse me on that. Oh, Delon Wright. Like, so yeah, that's kind of built to fuck up lives on defense. Was not a fan of how it looked on offense when I went to go watch those minutes. Uh, the defense for the Wizards was pretty good around the rim, actually. That's something that wasn't great for them um, last year for a lot of the season. That's something that's definitely encouraging. And I will say, Bradley Beal looks good aesthetically, attacking the basket, going downhill, um, laterally with his dribble and the way he's moving his feet. Um, they got him some nice, easier looks as well, which is why I think his three-point clip will climb from that two of seven mark. But the I, I get that he has to take some step backs, some you know bailout shots in the shot clock, but those just might not be the most efficient bread and butter for him. Like maybe he just can't hit those. At, I trust Shea Gilchrist Alexander to knock those down right now more than I do Bradley Beal. But I thought it was an encouraging performance from him overall, and just he's still an excellent passer when he's able to break down the defense. And I like the partnership with him and Monte Morris. I think that they provide a nice balance to one another. Uh, did I wrap this up in time? I absolutely did. Sub 40 minutes. Thank you, everyone who listened or watched the entire thing. If you've not joined our Discord, please do that. The link is in the podcast and YouTube description. Subscribe to us. Hit that sub button on YouTube to help the algorithm love us back, along with like and comment on the video. If you have any ideas for videos or podcasts, you are free to um, to shoot them my way. I don't know how often I'll be recording during the season. I was putting out like multiple episodes a day at one point. We'll see if that keeps up. But help me continue to grow the community. Um, subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple, if this is your first time listening. And follow us on the socials. Those are in the podcast and YouTube descriptions as well as on screen right now. Until next time, I leave it to chat for the one, the only, because he's a legend, he's Frank Milkina. <laughs>